Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, they're up in a pine cone toilet seat. Time now for... Some aspects look like we're really ready to play. Other aspects look like we just got off Willie Nelson's tour bus. Overreaction Monday! Hey, you know, and that's a double-edged sword. It's kind of like uh, watching your mother-in-law go off a cliff in a Cadillac. <laughs> you know, you got mixed feelings. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, a lot happened this Saturday. With national implications, finally. It was a newsworthy Saturday. And nobody called in a bomb threat to any stadiums. <laughs> At least that we know of. Quick update on our, our friend Connor. He's getting a rain this week. I talked to the. I, I promised you I'd be on this story, Pat. Yes, we know you love a good bomb threat story. Got so. a good <laughs> bomb threat. Getting yeah. a rain, facing up to twenty years. No more than twenty years. Quote with or without hard labor. End quote. <laughs> oh. oh, good God! Imagine hard yeah. labor in that Louisiana sun. <laughs> Would you have to cut your bamba bangs in prison? they make you go high and tight in there i think they might i don't know i don't know i don't see a lot of prisoners rolling around with mamma bangs that's all i would cut mine as a matter of (laughs) self-preservation that's a good point (laughs) this kid's in for a world of trouble yeah he's lucky he is not he got out they 120,000 uh or 100,000 dollar bond like dude if that guy is uh, uh, of a different ethnicity. He ain't getting out. <laughs> you call in a bomb right. threat. Yeah. You don't, you don't oh, he was just yeah. joking. We'll let him out for 12 grand. He'll be back. Yeah. yeah. He's lucky. So, yes. We'll see he what happens. Lucky. Funny. He's somewhat, lucky till he ends up really unlucky. Comic story only because nothing bad happened. I'm, yeah. I'm pro, pro district attorney on this one. So, we'll see what happens. But uh, that is my update. We'll have more in the ongoing saga of the the Bama Bomber. <laughs> Dumbest fraternity brother ever. You think we can get the first interview when he gets released from prison? I don't know. I don't know that we're really a favored media outlet at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure we've positioned ourselves well for that. A standing offer to come on the pod, though. I'll extend it right now. Oh, yeah. We have very few of these. Like, I, yeah. I'm not sure I'd take Nick Saban, but I'd take you. <laughs> I want to know how much the bet was for the bet. He calls in for those who, are, who do not recall some clown kid at, at, at Alabama said his friend was losing a bet in the Florida LSU game and decided to call in a bomb threat at LSU to stop the game. Presumably this was the over, right? It was a big yeah. bet. So he 
the, the, the moron calls the non-emergency line of the Baton Rouge police and thinks that that call is not going to be traced. <laughs> should be arrested for being that dumb. Should be expelled uh, yeah. from Alabama that they ever let you in if you think calling the police and they don't know who called them. Hint, they do. <laughs> okay? It's not an anonymous line. This isn't Crime Stoppers. Even then, they know who you are. They just won't tell, supposedly. Anyway, he said it was a big bet. By college kid standards, though, like 20 bucks is a big bet. Yeah. Like 50 bucks. I got 50 on this game. Oh, my yeah, God. 100 is, like, unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. 100 may move your friends to panic on your behalf. But I that think. means you might have you might be going to do hard labor in the Louisiana sun <laughs> as the Bama fan <laughs> with all the LSU fan criminals. Because you want to save your buddy a hundred on the first half under, because he called before half yeah. before halftime. I think it's crazy. So let's rank the great criminal mysteries. I, I, I the last criminal mystery we had of this caliber was remember the the bag drop in one of the federal basketball cases involving Munish Sood and the sandwich. And yeah, all no, we wanted yeah. to know was what kind of sandwich it was. Yeah, right. and we still don't have an answer to what kind of sandwich it was. I still think I want to know the sandwich type more than the amount of the bet. I am going to ask around again. I asked and, so, and somebody associated with the case said they would get back to me on that. What right. was the sandwich? It's the little stuff that keeps me that, up at night. Yeah. I want to know, yeah, what, what Brian Bowen got at the Shell Station, you know, Brian Bowen Sr. when he met Kenny Johnson. You know, there's a lot of details to these criminal sagas we need to find out. Yeah, it's all yeah. the fun. How often do you drive by that Shell Station, Pat? You know what? I did, uh, gosh, Friday, as a matter of okay. fact. So, yeah. Just give a little toot. The best part of trials <laughs> is the little details. There was this great yeah. one in the Aaron Hernandez trial. I mean, we're way off the rails here, but we'll get back to it. He did play college football. <laughs> he did play college football. We're the crime podcast. Yeah, we might as well be. I'm, we're going to get to it soon, but <laughs> in a moment. So Aaron Hernandez and this guy, Alexander Bradley, who Hernandez later shot in the face, and then Bradley allegedly shot in the face. Bradley says he did. And then Bradley was going to kill Aaron Hernandez. But they were friends at this point. They go on a vacation to Florida. And one of the funniest details was as they're telling the story that I wanted to stop and get more details was they drove to the airport and were so late for their flight to Florida for a week that they just left their bags in the car and just checked in (laughs) and then flew with no luggage. And I'm like, wait, what? What were you going to do? Like you that disorganized, like you know, just I'm like, what? Well, can I have a Your Honor? Total side thing. I don't think this will do guilt or innocence. <laughs> what? Then they went down there and they spent ten grand one night at Tootsie's Cabaret in uh, South Florida, but they also were staying in the La Quinta Inn, sharing a room like an hour north because to save money. <laughs> oh my! Like God. you two idiots! What are you doing yeah. anyway? Uh, you know. Not all criminals think things through really well. Yeah. And Bradley goes, yeah, yeah La Quinta, right by the Hooters. <laughs> like so, the, jury, the jury in Boston knew which La Quinta <laughs> in Palm Beach County it was. Like, okay. So here's the thing. We've all, fast, we've all been late going to the airport before. A place like LAX <laughs> where, like, you know, yeah. the, the rental car place is, like, three hours <laughs> from the terminal. And you're, like, counting the minutes and white-knuckling and cursing every red light. How often have you fascinated, you know, what if I just pull my rental car up and leave it? Oh, sure. Well, 
What'll happen? Like, we've all thought about that at some point. Billy Reed, the, the former Sports Illustrated slash Courier Journal writer, supposedly did that in Atlanta, and the car was found like 100 miles away, stripped. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, that, that may be urban myth, but it was a good hack story. That's a good story. Yes. Good story. All right. Biggest news of the weekend, as far as I'm concerned, was Tua Tung Vailoa getting injured. Got his ankle rolled in the Tides 35-13 victory, I think it was, over Tennessee. Dr. Nick Saban has diagnosed as a high ankle sprain. There was a procedure done one to two weeks out for Tua. Now, obviously, significant cuz in three weeks, it's the mega matchup with LSU. So, according to AL.com, and AL.com is covering this sucker like if a, there was an assassination attempt on a president, the Washington Post would cover. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to at his bedside. I mean, AL.com, hats off to you. Blanket cover. There's like 10 stories on the, and the top most popular stories, all 10. To a, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 they're Ankle on. graphics of uh, like detailed, like, like your sophomore, your biology class. Like, know where you know. your bread is buttered. Tua texted one of his teammates and said he'd be back for LSU. I mean, you know, like what? It, great coverage. Anyway, this is big. We don't know if he'll be back or not. I mean, look, Bama gets the burning carcass that is Arkansas next week. <laughs> then they get a week off. Then, you know, then LSU. Is he going to be really ready? Is it going to be ginger? We're going to do a lot of stories on that. A lot of talk about the ankle. No info is going to come out. That's the beauty of no, it. But absolutely we'll not. not stop Alabama, us. are you kidding me? We'll not stop our breathless speculation. But look, if they lose to LSU, they're in a lot of trouble because they, they really hard for them to get to Atlanta for the SEC title game. And they have not had a great schedule. So they're not sitting with like money in the bank. LSU's much more capable of weathering the loss. At least they have the win at Texas, which thanks for mm. uh, Dicker the Kicker, man, uh, saved them at Texas Kansas. and Florida. They and Florida. Florida. Yeah. It's much better than Tennessee and Duke, which is what yep. Alabama basically has their crossover SEC game and their non conference game. So it, it would be the first, this is the biggest threat to Alabama missing the playoff for the first time since the playoff has occurred. How important is he? Tunga Vailoa went 11 for 12 for 155 and about a quarter and a half against Tennessee. Backup Mac Jones, 6 of 11 for 72 yards. Vol stayed in it until late uh, when Coach Pruitt blew a gasket over on the Vol sideline. But until then, uh, it was a game. So, Pat, yeah. what do we got here? Ankle That's watch. big. I mean, and, and I, I think it's very TBD. They can say he'll be back. We'll see at what level he'll be back. Now, he had the same procedure done to his other ankle last year. He had it done after the SEC championship game, which was December 1st, 2018. He played in the Sugar Bowl on December 29th. That's four weeks. This time we got three weeks. You know, maybe he would have been ready to play if it had been a three-week window, too. But and he played well against Oklahoma, but Oklahoma's defense was terrible. So we'll see. You know, is, is he sharp? Is he really ready? He's got to be because I mean, I watch Alabama play, and sometimes you know, for a series or two, they look really good, and for a series or two, they they look sloppy and loose and do stuff wrong more than you expect from a Nick Saban team. They've got a lot of young guys on this team. They've had injuries and things of that nature, but they do not look like a super buttoned up Alabama team to this juncture. So not having 
Tua at the top of his game, I think, leaves him very susceptible to being beaten on November 9th. It's a piggyback on what Pat said about the susceptibility, which I think is very real. They've started seven true freshmen at times this year. They're obviously excellent on defense, but they are not the smothering, mauling, marauding defense of Alabama that we've maybe known in the past. Um, But Tua, with his ankle in flux, was pedestrian by Tua standards in that Georgia game. Obviously, it was only 10 to 25, two picks. Very human. Now, obviously, he goes and has the surgery. He was good against a bad Oklahoma team. And then he obviously had the pick six that just basically flushed that national title game down the toilet. He had two picks in that game. He was decent. He was 22 of 34 with two touchdowns. But really, the two interceptions were what we're going to remember him by. So it's a fascinating conundrum here with with, with Alabama because they have what I believe is the best complement of wide receiver skill in the country. And really one of the best compliments of wide receiver skill I ever remember covering college football. I mean, it is just – did you see the replay – of yes. uh, of rugs, <laughs> rugs running down after after two or through that horrific pick. I mean, yeah. he looks like Usain Bolt. I yeah. I mean, I've never seen. Like, I was just like it was like what? like it was yeah. it was like someone hit like yeah. the cheat code or fast forward. Or Nigel Warriors going the other way, and I mean, he closed that down like no. I mean, Warrior also runs like a giraffe, and if that's Bryce Thompson, that's six. But <laughs> there's the the vol input from Sutton. Yes. Well, yes. I, Ruggs, keep, Ruggs is a freak athlete. I'm, I'm giving him 100% of the credit. Yeah. But So keep your good stuff for your VolQuest post later today, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I will. Analyzing the loss. Uh, so we uh, – when you, when you look at Alabama with I, – I mean, Mac Jones is just a guy, right? He's just a guy. And uh, they don't have the same caliber of tailback maybe that they've had in the past um, where they can just line you up and – pound it down your throat into oblivion. I feel like this is a good Alabama offensive line, but this isn't uh, an elite, overwhelming, you know, top five unit in the country type Alabama O-line. So, yeah, it's the the Tua. Tua's ankle is the biggest story in the sport until he either goes under center or does not go under center in that LSU game on November 9th. Yeah, massive implications. Hey. Bama's been in every title game, and I – First, I don't know if LSU isn't favored in this game on the road. I'm going to be interested to see what the line is on this thing. You know, I, I, I agree with all you guys. It's still Alabama, but there's definitely some rattle to this to these wheels. We'll get to wheels coming off the cart later in Oklahoma. But Did you just invent that but, term? There's some rattle to these wheels? Uh, is that like some like NASCAR, NASCAR, man. Okay. Bad setup. Got a bad setup. I covered a lot of NASCAR, man. I've been to Talladega, yep. too, now, you know. <laughs> I don't know they say by, that. By but. the way, Henry Ruggs supposedly ran a four two five forty last March at Pro Day. Uh, yeah, I, I never believe forty no. times. Not when they're that. Even low. if that's like only exaggerated by a tenth, that's really fast. Not until they not till they get to the NFL Combine. Then the numbers right. real. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who ran a four one in high school. You know, and then all of a sudden they're yep. four five. Yeah, but that he can go. He can go. So the other thing on this game, you know. Coach Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt from Tennessee, he does have a way of enforcing his way out of this podcast. <laughs> I hope this is a good enough loss, which seems to be the the narrative for some of the Vols, that he stays for another year because we could do your civic yeah. duty, man. Keep Coach Pruitt. <laughs> um, <laughs> can we? Is there a fund we could donate to Sully to keep him around yeah. just for fodder's sake? Just, oh, he's Jeremy Pruitt in Iowa just make their way on. Yeah. The yes, podcast. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, everyone's watching the game. So Tennessee's in this thing. It's 
28-13. Yeah. And and they get down to the goal line. They get stuffed three times. They run it right up the middle pretty much, which in case you didn't know, Alabama's defensive line is the strength of their program. Uh, just a, <laughs> hey, I don't know. Maybe uh, the D-line coach from former D-line coach from Alabama would know that. I don't know. But got stuffed all three times. And then they get to fourth. Jared Garitano, instead of running a play, kind of freelances, decides to just sneak it over the QB pile, uh, sneak it over the pile, and the ball gets fumbled, and Trevon Driggs takes it 100 back the other way. Game's over. Pruitt goes nuts. He is screaming. He is pointing. He is holding me backing all over Garitano. He he also grabs his face mask. So it's not really a violent thing, but this is – this ain't Junction Boys time anymore, so that got a reaction. Pete, your thoughts on uh, on the outburst, which got a, certainly a lot of discussion out there in the in the world. I, I think with Coach Pruitt, there is uh, has been throughout his tenure a distinct lack of like self awareness of how he's viewed. If people think you are the Neanderthal Hoover High coach who stumbled into an SEC job, you cannot act like the Neanderthal Hoover High coach who stumbled into an SEC job. You have to know what all vegetables are that are major market vegetables, right? (laughs) You have to have enough pop culture awareness to not compare your program to a sinking ship. And if people think you are a Neanderthal meathead, you cannot grab the face mask of your quarterback. And it it was interesting. He went inside and kind of pulled it like that and, and, and jerk his head. You cannot do that, Jeremy Pruitt. Nobody can do that. But especially Jeremy Pruitt can't do that. And I don't care how mad you are. This is not 1976. All right. This is this is a this is a revolved and refined time that we're living in in terms of treating players the way they should be treated. And Jeremy Pruitt simply failed at that last night. And not only were his actions completely unforgivable, but also just not knowing who he is and how he's viewed and how, you know, if some Sunbelt coach did that, it, it may make a mention and it, it may be, there may be a post, but Jeremy Pruitt doing this at a time of historic ineptitude for the Tennessee program at a time when people are questioning your intellect to lead the program is just one of the dumber things I've ever seen a head coach do. Yeah. He snapped no doubt. And completely agree. The, the days of football coaches grabbing the face mask are over. Okay, in terms of like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, it's just it's a very bad look. And I'll get to what it connotes here in a second. But I mean, the thing that that amazed me, I I tweeted about this and I said, you know, that's an anachronism. That's a bygone thing. You can't do that. And I said, now, if Garantano freelanced the play and just totally went rogue. And if you look at the replay, you can pretty well figure out what the play was supposed to be and whether it was just a missed check or whether he totally went solo. If I'm the coach, I am ticked at him and I'm mad at him and I'm going to yell at him and I'm going to bench him, but I'm not going to touch his face mask or any part of his body in the process. But the reaction when I tweeted that, holy moly, was it interesting. Because it was not just the usual stuff about female anatomy, homosexual slurs, and you've never played a down of football, which I did. I played high school football. My coach was Gary Barnett, who went on to take Northwestern to the Rose Bowl and car to the Fiesta Bowl. And he did grab my face mask during a game in 1982 because he was really ticked at me because I got penalties on consecutive plays. I didn't like having my face mask grabbed, and that was 1982. I remember it. It wasn't a big deal. I still love Gary Barnett, but I remember it, and I didn't like it. And I guarantee football players today really don't like it. Are you? Uh, you know, Al Bundy 
<laughs> Do I know uh, scored, yes. He scored four touchdowns against Polk High. <laughs> I tackled him on one of those. Should we get Pat a Polk High letter jacket? He didn't get in. He didn't get in on one of those touchdowns. Anyway. Sorry. Here's sorry. the other thing that came in the responses that kept coming and kept coming and kept coming beyond all that, beyond you never played and you're you know, a weenie and a whatever, et cetera, was a lot of the really like dark web coded language that you get in America these days. Cuck, beta, incel stuff. And if this is the kind of mentality that's feeding into college football, I'm concerned about college football. I can understand some of that element having this feeling like that's the last bastion of masculinity or something in, in, in America. It's not a very good <laughs> mentality to bring though into the sport in my opinion leave that in your politics man okay let's not make this a moral referendum on the wussification of america i think that's getting into some real odd territory there so if you want to debate whether or not football coaches should grab a face mask or not that's fine has nothing to do with snowflakes nothing to do with participation trophies it has everything to do with whether you can deal effectively interpersonally with your players Jeremy Pruitt can't. I would concur with both of you guys on, on a lot of this. I mean, look, the, the face mask thing, you know, it wasn't a big tug. But I, I think my thing is this. Like, it, it goes kind of to Pete's point. Like, you have to realize who you are and where you are. Now, if you played football at any point, a coach grabbed your face mask. Certainly, if you played in the 70s, 80s, 90s, right? I don't care if it was Pop Warner. I don't care if it was high school, whatever. But they got into you on a practice field or whatever they did in in private this isn't a practice field this isn't a high school game this isn't a high school this is national television you're running this huge business you're paid to run this huge operation that's the front part of parts of the university and all this crap you have to be smart enough to know you don't do this anymore i thought jeremy pruitt regardless of the face math he just looked out of control and sloppy and and this is a guy that makes a hundred mistakes a week. He's a bad coach. You know, this isn't Nick Saban and you go, God, you know, Saban's super competent and this kid just went nuts. It's like, all right, well, what what were you doing running those plays on first and third, second and third down? Why didn't you have more creativity? What you you messed this up. And then I look like the key play of that game to me was the uh the late hit uh earlier in the game. When I think it was Daryl Taylor, he hit Mac Jones, Alabama's Mac Jones, after the pass. It was a clean hit, and and it ends the drive. And Bama's only leading twenty one thirteen, and and Taylor gets up, all, he's lays on him, and then he gets up and kind of pushes him down. And I thought it was a weak flag, but he basically dared the ref to make the call. And that's an yeah. undisciplined team. That is a turnover that crushed Tennessee. Now, yeah. at the end of the game, you're down two scores and you're at 14, you're at fourth and one and you're getting stuck like that, that, that shows me what your team is. And I go, guys, this is a sloppy, dis- this is a disorganized, over-emotional team. And you see the coach acting disorganized and over-emotional. So I'm not really upset about grabbing the face mask or yell, but it just does. It's a bad look, you know, like Brian Kelly's worked on this. Like that was his big thing. Brian Kelly is a thousand times better coach than Jeremy Pruitt. Brian Kelly is one of the best coaches in the game, but he would lose his – he's worked on stepping aside from it. Even late in Bobby Knight's career, I remember going to a practice at Texas Tech, and he would stay – they'd be scrimmaging or running through things on one end of the court. He'd be on the other side of the 
like the other side of the court. And it's almost like I'm, I'm not going to be right in the middle of this. Like I need a buffer because I don't want to do, even he learned how to coach. I can't do what I did in 1976 where I grab a guy by the scruff of the neck and tell him to set the pick hard. You just can't do that anymore. You can't choke guys out. So he'd step back away from it and you just have to learn. And I just thought it's a bad, it's a bad look. Like you want to go play for that guy. I mean, I know this, you know, he makes you better. They're all trying to make you better. There's just a, it's just not, it's not a, it's, it's a very unself-aware thing. So. Yeah, that, that doesn't make anybody better, you know, and that's the thing. That's where people used to make excuses for night. Well, you know, he was trying to make everybody better. Was he trying to make the secretary better when he threw the flower pot at her head? Uh, no, he wasn't. He was an out of control rager, you know. She typed pretty slow, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> well, 45 you know. words a minute. Let's go. <laughs> there are plenty of ways to make people better that don't involve Verbal or physical abuse. <laughs> the the good thing for Jeremy Pruitt is he has like a new age, sophisticated, nuanced boss in Philip Fulmer <laughs> who will clearly show him the air of his ways. Philip Fulmer, who still wears like coaching gear to games, right? <laughs> Philip Fulmer, who is hired to a coach jump to in at any moment. Hey, he's ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Fulmer saw the face mask grab and went, oh. Interesting. <laughs> Here's my chance. When you have a university that's a mess, an athletic department that's a mess, it doesn't surprise me that the coach is allowed to be a mess. And that's what that was. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt is like the number one talking point of college football other than to his ankle on Sunday morning. And it's because he's acting like a Neanderthal. And there is nothing institutionally at Tennessee that's going to correct him from acting that way. It shouldn't be. I mean, he shouldn't have done it. Like the the, the focus on the game from a Tennessee standpoint should be – they played Alabama in the fourth quarter. It should be the refs called a horrific game, uh, but go. instead it's Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> here we go. Well, they did. They absolutely did. Tough whistle yeah. for Tennessee. I will give Tennessee that. Tough whistle. Like, absolutely. You but, can't disagree with, with the, the holding call on Jennings in the end zone, the, the Daryl yeah, Taylor right, call right, that you already alluded to. It was to a 22-point game, Sully. <laughs> they the no, it was, it was two plays away. It was two plays away from being a one-score game in the two fourth quarter. Two plays away, and yeah. All, all, <laughs> All, all people are talking about yeah. is is Jeremy Pruitt acting like Neanderthal, and it and it and it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> two, pl- I, I'm, two plays away from a one score game. It was man Tennessee it's a nine yard return, and then a Daryl Taylor. Don't take that hope. All right, don't take that precursor of hope to hope. I will say That's this: exactly. Tennessee has actually improved a little bit. They like, have. Hey, they, they were, played well. Yeah, they, they well. were like flat and hopeless early in the year, and yep. they at least had a pulse. Like yep. I would have thought that was a forty five point game, right? So, but there's no going to be no acknowledgement of that now because the wrong guys. Yeah, so, yeah Sully's right. About exactly. That. All right. Look, if you're going to, uh, we've all had our, except for Pete, our lock, Pete's lock of the week is perfect, by the way. So if you're gambling, um, he's probably in this week. Yeah. You're due for a loss. Oh, I won on Friday this week, Pat. I did, I, oh, I, easy. Just, he took Saturday off. Banked right. it early yeah. with uh, Syracuse, pit, pit it over Syracuse. Uh, Pat and I have, have experienced with our lock of the week going bad. And boy, did mine go spectacularly bad. <laughs> I uh, had Wisconsin given 31 to <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Just missed that prediction. Yeah. Just <laughs> missed. Two plays away yeah. from – no, never mind. <laughs> Two plays away from a one score. I watched some of the game, and Wisconsin actually should have blown them out. They missed a million chances in the first half to put the thing yeah. away. Their their red zone or that sort of area of the field offense would just stall out. Illinois had a couple big plays, hung around, 
And boom, Illinois wins the game on a last second field goal. Awesome scene. Great job for Lovey Smith and the forlorn Illini. Wisconsin is, takes a lot of luster out of Saturday's game in Columbus. It really puts a potential Buckeye Badger rematch in Indianapolis kind of, we don't know, because if Wisconsin loses Ohio State, they got two league losses, and Minnesota's still unbeaten. Yeah, Albeit, they got to play Penn State, Iowa, and Wisconsin to come, but you don't know. So everything changed in the in the Big Ten in a, in a most uh, unlikely scenario. Pat, what do you think of the Badgers at this point? I was stunned, completely stunned at that. They had been so good. You know, I mean, they they had not allowed a touchdown in the first half all year. They hadn't trailed. And they had this game, like you said. Now, they blew opportunities to blow them out, but they still had the game under control. They're up at least two scores in the fourth quarter, right? It was 24 to 20. 20 I don't remember exactly the details, but they, they nine were up points. Two, yeah, all right. They're up nine points in the fourth quarter with the best defense in America. And you can't stop Illinois. I mean, that's that's bad. So obviously, you know, whether they had just played not very good teams or they had played over their head or whatever, but to have that come crashing down in that way is a brutal loss. It's it's there with uh, Georgia, South Carolina. Those are the two biggest flops so far this season, Georgia and Wisconsin in those games. And, you know, maybe we'll keep having one of those a week pop up, whatever we uh, it, it does keep things interesting. That's for sure, because you never know where it's going to happen and when. I think we need to launch a Yahoo Sports investigation into what poltergeist went into Paul Christ's body and completely removed 50-plus years of conservative football coaching from him and made him pass on third and five for midfield. It was strategically the most un-Paul Christ thing. Like, he's more likely to be a Chippendale dancer than he is to pass on (laughs) third and five at midfield while nursing a lead. With the best running back in America. And then yeah. punt and let the best one of the best defenses in the country stop Illinois, who needs no qualifier. They're still Illinois. Instead, he passes. Jack Cohn throws an interception. And then the fighting white beards, you know, sputter 25 <laughs> yards up the field and kick the field goal. That, to me, like, if I was a Wisconsin fan, my head would have exploded. Because I'm sure it exploded a billion times when that guy punted into a short field. And a billion times when he oh, was yeah. hyper-conservative. But Paul Christ has been, like, defiantly Paul Christ. And so, uh, and again, he did gamble a little bit early in the season, go on some, like, fourth down. Remember Michigan? For, he went on fourth down on the short side of the field early in the game and got it and went on. But, like, passing on that down at that time was ridiculous. And we should not absolve Jonathan Taylor from from his role in this loss. He fumbled. That has been the one knock on Jonathan Taylor. He has had fumbleitis his entire career. It scares the devil out of the NFL teams that are scouting him. And he tried to get a little extra yardage, and they knocked the ball loose on the Illinois 19-yard line when they were just – they were marching in to try to give Dan some hope in covering the spread. But instead – Illinois was two scores away from a one score game. No, wait, two plays away from a one score game. Whatever that, whatever that Sully fortune cookie nugget of hope from the Tennessee loss was. But no, Jonathan Taylor and Paul Chris, you could put the loss squarely on them. Jonathan Taylor has to stop fumbling. He has to. It's at this point in his career, it's unforgivable. And the loss goes right on his shoulders. And then Paul Chris is standing on those shoulders for his play call. One, the refs were horrible. Two, I can't stop thinking about Paul Chris as a Chippendale, so I need to burn that out of my head. Thanks, thanks, Pete. Does Paul Chris as a Chippendale, does he come out in his sweatshirt? 
He's got to be wearing <laughs> the Wisconsin sweatshirt, right? Yeah. He's not. Maybe, maybe his cutoff sweatpants. Does he have like Nobody a peel away sweatshirt? Not in yeah. Yeah. Sweatshirt. We wouldn't know who he is. It's just like, why'd that customer get up there? Um, <laughs> he's got peel away sweat, Wisconsin sweatshirt. And then I don't want to know what's under there. And then really, is Tennessee's team slogan going to be, do your civic duty, man, or two plays away from a one-score game? <laughs> the 2019 balls. It's one or the other. There are, there are more options because yeah, you can call it the ghost, the, the ghost holding in the end zone. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of different right. Stay on the Titanic. There's three or four Don't calls. panic. Stay on the Titanic. <laughs> They That's should stick it. the refing crew on the Titanic is what they should do. By the end of the year, we get a top yeah. 10 Tennessee motivational uh, slogan. Most entertaining two and don't five Don't panic, teams. stay on the Titanic. <laughs> don't panic, stay on the Titanic. Don't follow the rats. Yeah, don't follow those rats. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> All right. Penn State, Michigan. Harbaugh uh, predicted they'd, they'd make a big stand here and, and uh, didn't look good at halftime. 21 zip. Penn State was rolling the white out, the whole thing. Credit the Wolverines coming back 28-21 late. The pass in the end zone gets dropped. One drop away from a tie game, pretty much. Tough deal for Michigan. I did think they got, they showed something. Penn State has not gotten the respect of some of the other big name unbeatens, but they're still here. Wisconsin isn't anymore. Uh, and and I think that that Ohio State Penn State game becomes the game of the year in the in the Big Ten maybe I think you got to make it at that point. So what, what were your thoughts on that game, Pat? Yeah, I watched uh, most of it, and I, I will give credit to Michigan. They they rallied when I thought they were going to get blown out, and uh, it was interesting. It was you know kind of your classic Harbaugh grandiosity. Told Maria Taylor coming out of halftime, this is going to be our finest Michigan's finest hour. Sounded good, and it almost was good. <laughs> I mean, they were there; they were in position to pull it off. Shea Patterson, I thought, played maybe his best game I've seen him play. He was uh, gritty. He was resourceful. He was creative. He was clutch. Uh, And, yeah, and he put that ball on Ronnie Bell's chest to tie the game, and Ronnie Bell dropped it. And Ronnie Bell's been really good for them. He's been their best receiver, even with all the other stud receivers they have. But you get down to the brass tacks of it, it's still another loss in a big game for Michigan. And you get down to Penn State, and it's another good win for Penn State. I mean – they were life and death to hold on to beat Pittsburgh. They were life and death to hold on to win this one. They beat Iowa by five. It's not like they're dazzling you, but seven and zero or six is six and zero or seven and zero. Seven and zero is seven and zero. We'll see now. Michigan State at Michigan State. That shouldn't be. They should be good enough to win that game. Week off, then Minnesota in the like surprise improbable Big Ten game of the season possibly that one's fascinating unfortunately it's the same day as Alabama LSU but um I've got my eyes definitely on on both those teams that's going to be really interesting my heart broke for Ronnie Bell on the sideline on Saturday and I don't know if you guys saw when the cameras caught him late in the fourth quarter he's just openly weeping there on the sideline mm-hmm. just that you know just like shows like what, what these guys put into it and I, I, mean, I was like I like had a visceral reaction to Ronnie Bell sitting there just crying on the sideline as his uh, as his as his teammates a- attempted to uh, to console him. That was that to me was one of the more searing moments of the uh, of the weekend. Just it's so hard to go into an environment like that. And and look, Michigan played really well after a quarter and a half of sort of being asleep at the wheel. Um, they came back and I don't know. I, I kind of like the game ended. and I was kind of like, does Michigan want a moral victory? You know, like we didn't get blown out. We were right there. You know, we had the ball in the air in the past to 
to to tie the game in a, in, a, in a difficult environment. I mean, by far and away more life than they showed against Army. By far and away more life than they showed against uh, against Wisconsin. And uh, you know, they they showed some grit at at Iowa. Like Michigan's getting, you can argue they're getting better um, at the uh, at the very least. The offense finally, I think, showed a little bit of synchronicity, stringing together a couple of those drives uh, against Penn State. I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention KJ Hamler. I mean, wow, is there a more mm-hmm. fun player in college football than this guy? Uh, he's another like four, two until he gets to the combine speed guy, but look third and four, third and five or whatever it was late. Ricky Ronnie calls a little bit of a gadget play. They, they, they motion him into the backfield and then hand the ball off to him and they let their hundred and, and Pat wrote this in the takeaways, 176 pound, you know, ramrod go through and, and pick up a really, really difficult run for, for a first down. So Credit Franklin for getting the ball in the hands of his best player at that point and giving him a chance to uh, to do that. But yeah, that was a that was a uh, that was that was really a fun game, and I think we'll we'll learn a lot about Michigan on Saturday night. Dan, will you be there when the Irish go to uh, Ann Arbor? Uh, I'll be watching probably. <laughs> I'm gonna go over there. I got- all right. <laughs> God forbid we suggest you attend a college football no, game. Go to Gasoline Alley. Yeah, no, getting away of drinking. It's Saturday night. Right. Come on. That's fair. Don't expect me to work. Um <laughs> I yeah, we'll see. I don't know. They that's they gotta make a stand at some point here because it's not working. Yeah. Speaking of uh disasters, the Sooner Schooner crashed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh that was dramatic. <laughs> it sure was. Looked like they tried to take the turn a little tight there. Here's what intrigued me about the Sooner Schooner wreck, and we're glad everybody apparently is safe, including the horses. We know Pat noted uh, animal. That's right. Don't go killing off the horses just nah, so we don't have a damn wagon go around the field. Did you see all the junk that fell out of the Sooner Schooner when it? Yeah. What? I had no. First of all, I had no idea there were people in the Sooner Schooner. <laughs> and then all, there was like Gatorade bottles and like there was just junk, like trash, like. What is going on in this? This has taken the mystery. That old stadium at Baylor where they had the tarp. What was that stadium they called down there in Waco? Oh, uh, yeah. McLean Stadium. Yeah. They had some other name to it. No, not McLean's. The new one. The old one. Oh, that's right. It's the new one. The old one. Had a funny name. Anyway, Pete, look it up. You've been there. We've been there. They had that tarp. And I was always like, what's under the tarp? What are we hiding under the what's hidden under the Lloyd Casey Stadium? Lloyd Casey. Yeah, it was Floyd. Floyd Casey, Floyd Casey. Yeah, that, that place was a dump. Well, there was a tarp. I was always like, are there ba- bodies under there? Like, do we have secrets? And now I'm wondering what's in the schooner. What is going on in this stuff. schooner? It's like my, the back of my car. A lot of junk. <laughs> They're hitting the Oregon Trail after the game. This has got to be the spot. Like, does Barry Switzer go back there and drink beer on, like, Tuesday nights? And, like... Coach Switzer is absolutely like got some business done in the back of that schooner, right? There used to be like a mattress <laughs> back in the eighties or something back there. What the hell is in the sco- what is in the schooner, Pat? A lot, apparently. I, I think that the uh, probably a lot of the trade secrets for why Oklahoma's been this good are kept there. You know, it's like I mean, who would ever think? You know, it's kind of a a, a good stealth location, hidden in plain Keep your sight. game plans. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this. There are cups. There is, I mean, this is like a popcorn bag, like a blanket. What? what it looked this? like if a carry-on bag exploded on a flight. It was like all like, uh, you know, shampoos of a certain size. And yeah, 
And did you see how quickly they carried it off? It was almost like they had prepared yeah. for this. Like all of a sudden, yeah, like right. 50 dudes show up and they just carry it off. They carry the, <laughs> gotta get the game going. It's like, yeah, it's a cheerleader. The roughnecks is what they call them, right? Yeah. They came running to the rescue. They did a good job. Guys. A- R-U-F-N-E-X. I mean, whatever. Right. But yeah, it's not the first time <laughs> the scooters tipped over. I will say that. It's, it is, it has happened before. It's uh occupational hazard if you are driving the schooner i guess i don't know what you're doing inside that schooner that is terrifying uh, they, were, they had a press release that was my favorite part i'm gonna try to find it here but they they yeah. it was it was it was uh it was it was weight distribution was what it was uh um, yeah I, I have the yeah. statement yeah. Oh, yeah okay yeah it was a re- we believe it was a result of weight distribution among the riders in the rear of the wagon so they had like three individual <laughs> so they had like two on one side or something i don't know but who knew i didn't know anybody was in there well a place that's so sophisticated, they come up with a fight song that says, Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner. <laughs> they can also come up with, you know, a lot of surprises in the old Sooner Schooner. All right. Here's the other most baffling thing that happened in the in college football that I saw. The end of the BYU-Boise State game. Great win for BYU. Boise was without their, uh, their star quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, but. Boise gets within three. BYU, they kick off. The, there's 317 left in the game. They kick off to BYU. BYU gets the ball on the 25. They they fair catch. Ball's lined up at the 25. 25 plus 10 means you got to get to the 35 for a first down. <laughs> they put the point of the ball at the edge of the 25. Like, this is how they do it. They go th- three downs. They get stuffed on a, on a, on a, I thought it was a bad spot to begin with, but they get stuffed on this uh, QB sneak or whatever play they ran. I don't remember. The ball is clearly at the 34 and a half yard line or the 34 and three quarter yard line. It is not at the 35 yard line. Yet somehow these chain gang, they, the refs call out the chain gang, which is unneeded because 10 yards is 10 yards. And this chain gang like lines it up only seven yards. I don't even think they pull the chain tight. Like this yeah, is the they biggest- did it to the 30. And went from there. And it was like the biggest Homer crowd I've ever seen. Like, this chain looks loose. Like, there's, like, knots in it. Like, I'm watching it on TV. Like, it looks like a like a, like a a power cord in my garage. <laughs> and, hey, shut up. First down. Now, look, we make fun of the refs sometimes. It's a very hard game to officiate. And, like, pass interference or, like, there's a lot of tough calls. This is not one of them. <laughs> no. 25 plus 10 does not equal the th- the 34 and three quarter yard line. What was that, Pat? <laughs> that was, I, I don't know for sure if it was a Mountain West crew, but I hope it was because that's the kind of stuff I saw. They did last year. They had these ridiculous measurements in Boise Fresno where you're like, no, that's not, I mean, you can see that's wrong. And this was the same thing. I mean, obviously, yes, the math does not work on this if the ball is not touching the 35. And Ryan Leaf, who was the analyst on this, who's, who's done a very good job on TV, pointed that out. It's like, you know, excellent. clearly this, excellent. Yeah, this doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, they finally get the thing overturned and get it right. And then Boise, or I mean, Brigham Young, I give them credit, fourth and a half yard or a quarter yard, they go quarterback sneak in their own territory. They're basically giving Boise the tying field goal at least. And they get it with a defensive back under center who they kind of like lift up over the top. I mean, like a cheerleader almost, you're pushing up to the top. It was uh, it was a crazy, crazy ending. But yeah, whoever's officiating crew was on that, the league office needs to talk to them today. I'll bet. I went to bed. What? 
Oh. It was late. I was tired. Come on, man. From what? I, yeah. <laughs> watching, watching football all day, <laughs> eating good food. Uh, <laughs> rode the Peloton a little bit, you know, oh, got my geez. workout in. During Quote, the- unquote, good food. One of us covered a noon game and then still wrote the takeaway at 2 a.m. on that game. Hmm. Well, that's part of the reason I went to bed was because you were carrying the weight. So I did my work early. And uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, well, I don't have to stay up until two. I, I got a story to write today. So I uh, I repaired at one when that game was going to the fourth. And I was like, you know what? There's going to be some ridiculous comeback in this game. But I, Pat, I had such faith in you to handle it. You know, well, I, that's that's touching. Yes, I know. I, it was sincere. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was a little sleepy. Is that so bad? <laughs> All right. Usually they hand out the Heisman at the end of the year. We do not like to wait. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? All right, Pete, who is your small sample Heisman winner? Well, I'm just glad to carry this segment like I usually do and come in prepared and go first, as our, as our faithful <laughs> listeners know. So my small sample Heisman winner is Casey O'Brien. Minnesota walk-on holder sees the first action of his career. He is a four-time cancer survivor. Poignant moment during the Gophers blowout at Rutgers. He held for three different extra points. Uh, BTN cameras caught P.J. Fleck tearing up on the sideline. His teammates mobbed him after the game. They gave the game ball in the locker room. What a great moment of perseverance, chasing your dream. All really good, positive themes. Uh, Casey O'Brien, congratulations. Way to uh, way to run after it. Well done, Peter. And as, as sincere, heartfelt, and excellent as that was, I'm going to go kind of like snide and snarky. So just to, just to keep us in proper harmonic yeah, yeah. balance we gotta, here. Uh, my small sample yes. Heisman winner is Chandler Wooten, linebacker from Auburn. They played Arkansas over the weekend. They destroyed Arkansas. In the game, Chandler had one tackle, two assists, three total, but... The real reason he is winning my small sample Heisman, he intercepted the worst fake punt of all time. If you saw the play where Arkansas Mm. snapped it to the punter and then had him try to basically throw a two-hand chest pass over the up blockers to somebody coming in motion across, or actually not in motion, but running across the field, he predictably threw it way too high, way too far, and directly into the hands of Chandler Wooten to make that play just perfect. If it had been incomplete, it wouldn't have been as good. So to intercept it, that elevated that play to the single worst fake punt of all time. Chandler Wooten, small sample Heisman winner. Not the worst fake punt of all time. Uh, you're going to go that Colts. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't really even a fake punt, man. That was just a lineup and run a terrible play. It was. They were supposed to punt. They move yeah. everybody away except the snapper and the quarterback. Or they make yeah. him a quarterback. There are four New England Patriots. It wasn't a fake. Yes, they sna- there were four New England Patriots standing there, and <laughs> they, they snapped it. I was at that game, and when they did that lineup, everyone was like, what is this? And then they snapped it. I have never heard a press box in- erupt in laughter. And then they sacked them. It was the easiest... Uh, that actually could work if it wasn't so well defended. That play was kind of creative. It just, there were three Auburn players ready to attack. There, there was a terrible fake punt. I will give you this. But the worst fake punt of all time was the Indianapolis Colts against the New England Patriots. Well, we did do a, we did an entire podcast on that, if this, you remember when they the, did it. It, the, was, it was that bad. The but Arkansas it still wasn't a fake punt, in my book. It, Not a fake. It could work. It could. It, it didn't. <laughs> 
but there's like there's a one there's no chance you can line up with just a center and a quarterback and run four yards. I know. No, it was the way. The worst, worst play ever, I would say. Not the worst okay. fake punt. Right. Bad play. The worst part of the Arkansas fake punt is it looks like an <laughs> eight-year-old playing, yeah, like, trying to chest pass in, like, bitty basketball. Right. Like, the actual yeah. pass looks like the least it athletic did. college football player of the year. So it was poorly designed, and clearly Auburn was expecting it because they were eating the guy in a in a, in a sandwich in, in the middle. But then the punter does, like, this ballerina toss and two-hand chest pass it, and this it was the just the same really Arkansas bad. program that fell for the last year North Texas kid who oh, acted yeah. like he was making a fair catch but didn't oh, and yeah. ran it all the way. <laughs> Tricky people there, the Hogs. <laughs> yeah, they're, they have yet to win an SEC game under Chad Morris because he hates love and <laughs> suspended those guys for hitting on the Mississippi State dance team. Ha-ha. <laughs> coming back to get you. I made the early call on that. You'll never win. Never win. Uh, uh, all right. My small sample <laughs> Heisman is Joe Burrow of LSU. Four touchdowns, 327 yards. They beat Miss State 36 13. He didn't even have to hit on the Miss State dance team. They were probably hitting on him. That's what happens when he's thrown 29 touchdowns this year. Also survived when he got sacked. A guy pulled his pants down. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Not fit for family entertainment. He joked after I heard there was supposed to be a full moon in Starkville tonight. <laughs> well done, Joe. Unflappable Joe Burrow. So you win the Heisman for me, buddy. All right. We've said a lot of mean things on here. Can we say something nice? Pat Forty, let's start with you. Do you have anything nice to say? I do. You know what? I have something nice to say. I'm going to talk in praise of the quarterback sneak. We're talking about a sport that has become spread throw, you know, 18 analysts, analytics, technology about everything. Three of the biggest plays of the weekend were quarterback sneaks. The most elemental, our guys push against your guys, and we see who gets a yard. Michigan against Penn State. Shea Patterson scored when they finally excavated everybody off of him and found him at the bottom laying on the goal line with the ball. Tennessee, Alabama, obviously that one didn't work out so well for the sneaker, but a momentous play. And then Boise State, BYU, as I mentioned before, with the defensive back brought in for sneaking slash vaulting purposes. So you know what? Sometimes football really does just come down to blocking and tackling. Go quarterback sneak. I'm going to say something nice about Vanderbilt coach Derek Mason. Through all the frivolity we've covered on this podcast, we did not cover Mason's sort of grandstanding post-game press conference with the SEC Network after Vanderbilt beat mighty Missouri at home on uh, on Saturday. Mason, uh, there was a, the question was framed through the prism of Mason's job security, which, quite frankly, is very insecure. And Mason just went on this like he must have walked into that inter post game interview being like, I really want to go viral today because he went on this. We're Vanderbilt men and mentioned that a lot of people want his job, which will certainly probably be in the second paragraph of the stories when he's fired later in the year. But give Derek Mason credit. He showed up that, you know, the Woodward and Bernstein the SEC network had on the sideline reporter, you know, just totally shut her down and then uh, had his little viral moment. So I'm going to say something nice about Derek Mason. Enjoy your viral moment, Derek. I don't think you're going to get many more. All right. I'm going to say something nice. This is a recurring say something nice. Repeat say something. I'm, I'm, I'm killing this person with kindness, mainly because I didn't get to this bit during the regular part of the show. Coach Randy Edsel's agent. Yes. Oh. You called <laughs> lost again on Saturday. 
They're now one and six. They lost 27 24 to Houston. You know, not bad by UConn standards. They do have that big win over Wagner. <laughs> uh, Coach Randy Etzel's agent uh, negotiated an incredible, I don't know what, a portfolio of bonuses on weird bonuses. Not just do you make a bowl game or do you graduate a certain number of people, but just basic things that happen in the game. So you would think a coach that lost his sixth straight game and has only a victory over Wagner would not have earned any bonus money on Saturday, but no, Randy's got four large in the pocket right now because of these two random stats. UConn's defense had more sacks than Houston. How much was that one worth? Two grand. Two grand. UConn had three sacks. Houston had zero. Also of note, UConn gave up more points. But hey, two grand. Uh, And also a a classic here, UConn had a better third down conversion rate (laughs) than than Houston. UConn went six of 15 and uh, Houston was just three of 11. Also, Houston had more points, but that didn't count. (laughs) So 4,000 for Randy Edsel. He's up to $44,000 in bonuses this season. despite losing all the games except the Wagner one. <laughs> Do we know who the AD is that agreed to this contract? I don't know. Yeah, it's David Benedict, the same guy who's there who hired him. He who also probably not yeah, coincidentally yeah. gave up on football um, and, and shuttered it to an independent, perhaps hoping no one would notice this stuff. So we are shining the light in darkness on this podcast, Dan. We can never let this bit die. All credit goes to Bob Berkowitz, at Bob Berkowitz. Uh, Steve Berkowitz is an editor at USA Today. He keeps track of all these things. Uh, yeah. I mean, is a, you know, I mean, I know they pay these coaches a ton of money. So, like, the coaches, oh, four grand, that's nothing. Really? It's nothing? <laughs> $4,000, man. <laughs> that's, that's how out of touch. So I get that. Like, that, I get when I criticize this thing. It's, oh, it's only four grand. Uh, really? No, no. Hey, you know what? That's like, all right, you're the coach at UConn. You want to go spend two nice weeks on the Cape? You know, like a nice place? There you, go. you just got it paid for. 4, because, you, because you had more third down conversions. Yeah, despite despite losing. But anyway, congratulations, Randy Edsel's agent. You, uh, I'm saying something nice again about you. One day I might give you a small sample of Heisman because who knows? They're playing UMass next week in what? <laughs> the burning, the burning uh, garbage barrel of a bowl, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame, Michigan. Don't go to that game. You need to. You need to be heading back to UMass. Yeah. Little, little did you know, Dan. UConn actually needed That's your donations, not UMass, because they need to afford right. them to pay Randy Edsel's bonuses. They. I don't know if they've won a game or not. They beat Akron. Winless Akron. UMass, UConn. You can't. Don't do it. I yes. don't know anyone who goes to this game. God bless you. <laughs> anyway, good luck, Coach Edsel. Amherst is. Yeah, they're, they're trying to get everyone drunk over there. I think they have a beer tent. Where is the game? Is it in Amherst or uh, the beer garden? The beer garden. Yeah. In one of the end zones now. Yeah, exactly. At the very least, no, I'm in favor of that. Pro Beer Garden. McGuirk Alumni Stadium. There you go. I'm alumni. Does that, I, they named the yeah. stadium after me. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't naming anything else after you, Mr. No Donation. Drop the program, invest in hockey, yeah. invest in lacrosse. We'll be fine. All right. That's the podcast. Thanks for subscribing. Leave nice messages on our little reviews. Share us on social media. A lot of people are doing it. Getting their friends to listen. Sully says our listenership is up. We're going to catch ESPN one of these days. Uh, But mostly thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys Wednesday morning when we uh, preview next week's action. See you. One, two, three, 
four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.